tonight I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. Uh, interestingly, we also enjoyed a baptism this morning. And um, with regard to Mission Emphasis Week, I was drawn to Psalm 112, particularly verse 7. Speaking of the righteous man, he is not afraid of bad news. And Psalm 112 is a part of a trilogy, Psalms 111, 112, 113, all beginning the same, praise the Lord. And it seems very clear, at least with the first two of them, 111 and 112, that they were most likely, we don't know who authored them, but most likely they were authored by the very same uh, person. They're matched. They're matched in form. They're matched in composition. They are what are called acrostics, which with the uh, phrases beginning in each of them with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet all the way through the alphabet. Psalm 112 picks up in verse 1, where Psalm 111 ends in verse 10, so it flows from 111. In Psalm 111, we read about the, the upright celebrating the mighty deeds and the glory and the righteousness of God. And then in Psalm 112, the psalmist expands on the righteousness and the goodness and the blessedness of the one who is upright. Again, Psalm 11 sets forth God and his work and his attributes. And then Psalm 112 again tells of the work and the character of those who fear and honor God. And we see that a little bit in a particular way with verse 4 of both psalms in, in 111 of God. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. And then in 112, verse 4, of the upright man, the one who follows in the way of the one he serves, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Some of the very same characteristics of God are found in the one who is upright. So we'll read together Psalm 112, and I had listed um, verses, well maybe it's not listed in here, um, I thought I had listed verses 6 through 8 as, as the text, but really verse 1 and verses 7 and 8 are our focus in the context of the entire psalm. Hear now God's holy word. Praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. May God bless the reading and consideration of his word to us tonight. 
and I believe in elders. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible that you've given us. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for these psalms. We ask that you'll be with Reverend Voss as he explains this portion of scripture to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are familiar, I suspect at least most of us are familiar with the uh, health, the approach to scripture that we call the health and wealth gospel. It's been around for quite some time. It's nothing that is new to us. And very simply, at least in part, the approach that, that approach to scripture says that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you give your life to him, and then depending on the strength of your faith, then you will be healthy you will be wealthy, you will be wise, and everything will go well with you in this life. You don't have to worry about anything. Well, beloved, in reality, that's no gospel at all. That's no good news at all because that makes it all depend on you and on me. And that kind of an approach to Scripture indeed uh, shows us the danger of picking and choosing select Scripture texts and using them out of context. Yet if we are honest, as I also mentioned to the congregation at Cornerstone this morning, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we can sort of understand how some might adopt that kind of thinking. How some might adopt that sort of an approach to understanding Scripture, even from many portions to be sure, but also from Psalm 112. I mean, after all, verse 2 begins his, that is the, the, the upright, his offspring, in some translations flat out say, his children will be mighty into the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Verse 4, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. In the ESV, the editor's heading says, the righteous will never be moved. But in some translations, the editor's heading says something to the effect, uh, the blessing of the righteous or the blessed state of the righteous. We can understand, can't we, how some might adopt that kind of approach to Scripture. However, we need to remember that what we have before us is wisdom literature, just like the Proverbs and, 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 and what that what much of that literature lays before us are general truths, but not absolute guarantees. General truths, but not absolute guarantees. And our own experience teaches us this, doesn't it? We were just led in the congregational prayer, and I was struck again by how many people are sick, how many people are facing surgery, how many people are facing tough and difficult times. Believers into the Lord Jesus Christ. If the health and wealth approach to Scripture is true, then what does that say to those who are going through hard and difficult circumstances? But again, our experience teaches us that this simply isn't true. For example, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 21, we read, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. You might say, well, I'm a kind person. I try to be a kind person, but... I don't find some of these things to be true for me. I'm not very well honored. Verse 23 of Proverbs 21, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. You might do your best to keep out of trouble, but sometimes trouble seems to find us, even if we keep our mouth shut, doesn't it? 
Chapter 22, verse 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And you may say, well, what gives with that? I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust in Him alone for my salvation, but I'm struggling financially. And my health is horrible. And then verse 6, in a particular way, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Not an absolute guarantee. Maybe some among us have found that to be true. A general truth. Often we know that by the grace of God, he, 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 he mostly, uh, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily builds his church by way of believers and their seed. And often by God's grace, children of believers learn from and they follow the, the godly example of their parents. But not always. And even in this text, we, we must question that health and wealth approach to Scripture because it simply doesn't make sense if, 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 if these things are really supposed to be absolute guarantees. For example, in verse 4, it talks about darkness for the upright. In verse 7, it talks about bad news for the upright. In verse 8, it talks about the upright being afraid. It simply doesn't make sense, these things, if these things are absolute guarantees. But at the very same time, beloved, we know that the Bible teaches us that often the wicked prosper. We see it all around us. Oftentimes the wicked enjoy earthly blessing. But you see, the blessing and the prosperity of the righteous far surpasses it. It is far beyond the boundaries of the earthly and the physical, that which we can, would consider to be earthly and physical blessings. And, and the blessing of the righteous even enters into the hard and the diff, difficult circumstances, into those details of life that the world would say are the very opposite of blessing and prosperity. And the greatest blessing for the child of God into the Lord Jesus Christ is being steadfast, being immovable, being stayed upon Jehovah, fixed with one's feet, as it were, one's entire life firmly fixed on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why, boys and girls, one preacher rightly said, when you have Jesus you have everything. And he wasn't talking about the things of this life and this world that you and I might like to have. But when you have Jesus, you have everything. And he goes on to say, if you have everything, namely everything that this world has to offer without Jesus, he says you have nothing. The greatest blessing for the child of God into the Lord Jesus Christ is being stayed upon Jehovah, first of all, in his power alone. You see, we need to set the stage of why this is true. Otherwise, the rest of it isn't going to make sense for us at all. Stayed upon Jehovah in His power alone. The power of the Lord God in whom the righteous believes. That's how the psalmist starts again as he does 111 and 113. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And the psalmist is talking there about the covenant God. 
the one who had covenanted with his people. And he is also then talking about the one who is brought to faith in this covenant God and the one who understands the truth of this sovereign God, who understands the sovereignty, his sovereignty, his splendor, and his majesty, as, as chapter 111, verse 3 says, his splendor and his majesty seen in his wondrous works. And we are to understand this as, as we think about Psalm 111, which we didn't read, but pointing back to Old Testament Israel. It points back, for example, in verse 5, we read, He provides food. This is 111. He provides food for those who fear Him, pointing back to the manna that God provided day after day for all those years in the wilderness. And in verse 5, he remembers his covenant forever, his covenant with Israel and particularly on Mount Sinai through Moses and the law. In verse 6, we read, he has shown his people the power of his works. Boys and girls, where did Israel witness the power of the works of God in a particular way? His plagues in Egypt and then their exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, the the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and then once they entered the wilderness and all that God did for them in protecting them in the wilderness. And then in verse 6 of chapter 11, also in giving them the inheritance of the nations. When did they witness that? When did they experience that? Well, the conquest of Canaan, when they entered the land flowing with milk and honey. But not only does it point back to Israel's experience, it points forward. It points forward as well to still to you and me today as we think about food that God provides. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. As we think about the covenant relationship we have with God, we enjoy that new covenant relationship of which Christ Jesus is the guarantor, that enduring better covenant. When it comes to our exodus, our exodus as a people of God is deliverance from sin and misery. And when it comes to the conquest of Israel into Canaan, that points to our eternal inheritance, that day when we will enter that heavenly promised land of milk and honey. And the redemption of Israel out of Egypt points to our redemption from sin and its power. And all of this, again, by the power of God. This is the one in whom the righteous believes, and beloved, this is the one by whom the righteous have been transformed, made completely new by the power of the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. We find that in Psalm 19, last week in Cornerstone, we considered Psalm 19, particularly of the, the last verse, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. But we also looked at the entire psalm, God's, God's revelation of himself, his, his, his world, his world uh, revelation, general revelation, his special revelation in his word. And notice verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Notice the different words there used for the commandments and the law of God. Law, testimony, precepts, commandment. And beloved, we are to understand by that the fullness of the word of God. Not just 
the narrow focus of the Ten Commandments of our God, that too, but the entirety, the fullness of the Word of God, and then its effect, reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, pointing to the fullness of the effect that the Word of God has on the child of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. That Word of God applied to the regenerated heart, that heart made ready by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that, that, that Word of God then received by faith gives the believer knowledge of the truth, of the truth of God, of the truth of myself, the truth of my horrible sin and my desperate need, the truth of the only Savior for mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of eternal life, and as well the truth of Satan and his schemes still today. And that Word of God, beloved, applied to the regenerated heart by the power of the Holy Spirit that understands that my life belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He did not save you and me simply to turn around and lose us again. There is no greater stronghold, there is no greater source of strength for your life and my life than our Father who is in heaven, as the Lord himself says, really reflected in the song we just sang, How Firm a Foundation, but in Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And beloved, by the grace of God, my life can and is to be then lived according to his word in keeping with his commandments in which the believer delights. Notice the last part of verse 1 of Psalm 112, who greatly delights in his commandments. Matthew Henry points out that the child of God with the law of God, he says, the child of God then is in his element when he has the law of God, when he is living according to the law of God. Boys and girls, just like a fish. What's the element for the fish? It's water. The fish is safe. It is free. It lives when it's in the atmosphere in which it was created to live, the atmosphere created for it. And the same is true for the child of God. The law of God is the atmosphere. It is the element for the child of God. As the child of God recognizes the love and care of God through his law. Believers don't find the law of God burdensome. Well, the unbeliever, yes. And we must confess at times, because of our own sin with which we still struggle, at times we do find it a little bit burdensome. But overall, the child of God does not find the law of God burdensome. But he finds, he finds the love and the care of God through his law by which God guards and guides and protects his children who have been transformed by the very word of God and the, chi- and the people of God know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's word is truth. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God does not lie, that he will not lie, and therefore he says and he also commands that which is always and only for the good of his people. He would never say to us or command of us 
something that would not be for the good of his people. In fact, as the psalmist in Psalm 119, verses 92 and 93 tell us, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Indeed, we know that our new life is in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, but God's people are new creations. God's people have new desires. We have a new captain whom we serve. And therefore, they, God's people desire to live a new life, guarded and guided, directed by the law of God. And instead of perishing, the believer stayed upon Jehovah in his power alone. But secondly, in the midst of adversity. Again, it wouldn't make any sense, would it? Our second point wouldn't, would make absolutely no sense if it weren't for the first point, in his power alone. And therefore, we have comfort in the midst of adversity. Notice what David says in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? An amazing testimony. Did David believe in a health and wealth gospel approach to Scripture? Absolutely not. He goes on talking about evildoers assailing him. He talks about adversaries and foes. He talks about an army encamping against him. As one commentator says of Psalm 112, he says, it is a psalm that gives a realistic portrayal of wisdom as it brings out not only the blessing of honor, children, and riches, but also the reality of adversity. As we've already pointed out, verse 4, darkness. Verse 7, bad news. Verse 8, being afraid. Beloved, adversity for the child of God is very, very real on this side of glory. If we were, if I were to ask for a show of hands, and if we were all honest, I suspect that many hands would go up to the question, how many of us here tonight are dealing with some sort of trial or difficulty or, or adversity. Probably most of us would have to raise our hand. Adversity, dark and difficult times are very, very real for the child of God. That's what darkness, the word darkness, points to in verse 4, adversity. And we know that this adversity can be of many, many kinds. It can be for many, many reasons. We could, we could talk about these kinds of things all night long. But very simply, it might be that life seems hopeless for whatever reason or, or your life is threatened in some way. And we know that, that, that this adversity comes for a variety of reasons. It may be the result of sin's influence in this life that is common to all men. Sickness and disease, even death. Financial hardship or a flat tire or a job loss or loneliness or, or the effect of a natural disaster of some sort. Also, uh, adversity such as trouble with a co-worker or a neighbor or even a good friend. Disappointments of life. Nothing seems to go right for you or me. And in addition, it may be the result of one's own sin, my own sin. Or it may be because of the result of the sin of someone else carried out against me with regard to my own sin. Paying the consequences of my own sin, boys and girls, because I got caught. I can tell you plenty of stories about myself as a young boy when I had to pay the consequences of sin for what I did wrong. And it stung. It didn't feel very good. And even as adults, we know that for some, 
some believers, some who are faithful. There are consequences that may have to be dealt with for one's entire life because of a sinful choice they made. Again, stayed upon Jehovah, but suffering the consequence of one's sin. Or again, the sin of others. The sin of others carried out against you and me, whether it be the hatred of, of others poured out against us or, or persecution for, for our faith or very simply a, a wicked world that is attacking and forcing their sin upon the church in a way that strips us of our rights and our freedom and attacking the church and God's people to hurt and to deprive us in some way. And along with circumstances of adversity, of hard and difficult times, bad news. Bad news. Very simply, the hearing of bad news. Again, oftentimes it's related to times of adversity, and the bad news might very well be that which is announcing the adversity to come. But it might simply be bad news that reaches one's ear of some sort of a hurt or a loss again or, or, or a downed economy. It seems like in our day the news media wants to capitalize on bad news, doesn't it? might be the bad news of rejection or financial ruin or, and, and maybe even to the extent of Job. We remember Job. Job received the ultimate bad news. He experienced the ultimate in adversity. You remember he lost absolutely everything. He lost his crops. He lost all of his animals. He lost every one of his children. Died. He didn't lose his own life, but he himself, his body, was attacked. Yet what does the Bible say about Job? It says in all of this, Job did not sin against God. Because he was stayed upon Jehovah. The bad news of the attack of Satan, again, through, through unbelievers attacking the church, trying to limit our rights or, or persecution for the faith or simply silencing the word of God. How often, when you read the Old Testament, have you ever noticed how often there was bad news in this sense that a number of times, many, many times throughout the history of God's people, the line of the seed of the woman was almost wiped out. On many occasions, down to the very last person, and that seed would have been wiped out. The line of David would have been wiped out. But you see, beloved, God never let that happen. Satan was not able to stop the Lord Jesus Christ from coming. He was not able to stop the Lord Jesus from offering himself in perfect obedience and offering himself on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin and mine and, and dying for our sin. Satan could not stop him from rising again and from ascending into heaven, taking his seat at the throne at the right hand of God. And Satan will not be able to stop our Lord Jesus from coming again on the clouds of glory. He will not be able to stop the, the growth of the church. He will not even be able to stop his very own eternal destruction. Stayed upon Jehovah in the midst of adversity, which again is very, very real. But we must also quickly add, it does not leave the believer unaffected. It's not as if we are able to ignore it and it doesn't affect us or bother us in some way. We don't live a case or sera life and whatever's going to be and I'm just going to ho-hum, go along and be happy. I'm not going to let it bother me. That's not true at all. 
Indeed, Job did not sin against God, but he was burdened. We know that he did express to his three friends his frustration. Or read Psalm 88, the saddest psalm in the Scriptures. The psalmist ends that psalm when there's absolutely no light at the end of the tunnel, absolutely no hope that he can see. But the beauty of that psalm is that he begins with hope. He cries out to the God of my salvation, he says. Or we think of the Apostle Paul. We can be sure that Paul was affected. He didn't remain unaffected, by, especially physically, by all the torment that he endured, the stoning, the beating, the shipwrecks, and those things. God's people really experience adversity. We can be honest about that. We feel it, don't we? We feel it. God's people experience physical and emotional pain and, dis- and, and, and distress. God's people experience adversity with heavy hearts at the sound of bad news. We've all been there. But even then, by the grace of God, the child of God handles and deals with that in obedience to God and His commands. Interestingly, obedience to God and His commands often causes the child of God adversity. It often brings on the bad news. But in the midst of it, the child of God handles it and deals with it in obedience. Oh, not perfectly, to be sure. But by the grace of God, His children strive not to complain all the time and not to blame, cast blame upon someone else and not to sin in the midst of it. God's people do not use adversity as a reason to sin. As a reason to say, well, I've got a right. No, we don't. John Calvin says, a sense of calamities, while it alarms and disconcerts the faithful, does not make them faint-hearted, because it does not shake their faith by which they are rendered bold and steadfast. They are not insensible to their trials, but the confidence which they place in God enables them to rise above all the cares of this present life. We see that again with Job, don't we? The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We see that with Paul and Silas at midnight in the Philippian jail. No doubt a very, very uncomfortable, maybe even a painful experience. And what are they doing, boys and girls? They're singing songs of praise to God. And you see, beloved, this is true of all believers, again, to to, to different points because we're all at a different point in our sanctification. Some, by the grace of God, have a little better handle on this than others, but all seek to practice it because all have the very same promise of God. When he says, I will never leave you, I will never, ever forsake you. All have the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, of all that the Father gives me, I lose not even one. All enjoy his promise, whether mature in the faith or brand new in the faith. All enjoy the promise of Jesus when he said of his sheep, no one will snatch even one out of my hand. Indeed, adversity and bad news does not leave the child of God unaffected. However, the child of God is held steadfast by the hand of God. Again, as we read in in Isaiah 41. Notice again what verse 4 says. For, for, For those in the dark, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. 
Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8, his heart is steadfast. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Again, it doesn't mean that God's people never get afraid. At times we do become afraid, but then by the grace of God, the child of God handles that being afraid like David did in Psalm 56. When I am afraid, he says, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man, what can flesh do to me? Or the psalmist in Psalm 46, beginning at, at that, the beginning of that psalm, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Or Psalm 62, David says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Again, it's not because of the power of you and me. It is only because of the power of God that we are able to face and endure the messy times of this life. Again, beloved, it's not a matter of, of if you and I will face dark days. For some darker than others. But it's a matter of when we will face those dark days. Whether it's, again, things that are common to man because of this sin-infested and infected world, or whether it's because of our own sin, or whether, again, it's because of Satan and the attacks of Satan and evil people. And God does not promise, He does not promise anywhere that He will save His people from adversity and bad news. But he has promised to save his people in and through adversity and bad news. Also reflected in that song we sang from Isaiah chapter 43. Cornerstone knows it's one of my favorite passages. When you go through the fire, when you go through the water, you will not be burned. I'm paraphrasing now. The waves will not overwhelm you. Why? Because I will be with you, God says. And that familiar Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And dear people of God, for believers versus unbelievers, the end will come one day to these things, adversity and trials and bad news. The end will come to these one day for you and me. Oh, for the for the unbeliever, for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever prosperity they may enjoy now, the end will come to that for them. And then they will face the ultimate bad news. But for you and me, by the grace of God, the end will come to these one day. And, and now also the child of God is not overwhelmed to the point of despair and absolutely no hope. And until then, the child of God ponders and meditates on the Word of God, on all that God has already done for His people throughout history. All you need to do, again, is read the Scriptures, read the Old Testament, all that God did for Israel. In essence, He did it for you and me. Again, that He might preserve the line leading to our only Savior. He did it for us. Look and see, ponder and meditate on the wondrous works of God that He has done for His people throughout history, but also to bring it closer to home for each and every one of us individually. Consider your own life. 
whether you're young or whether you've lived 90 years already, consider your own life and, and look back over your life and consider those, th- those events in your life where God's hand was protecting you, preserving you, providing, providing for you in the midst of every circumstance, whether it was good or bad, whether it was happy or sad, whether it was a circumstance of success or whether it was a circumstance of failure. The believer's heart has confidence that even though we don't understand all of these things, yet the believer has confidence in God so that the child of God is able to commit his or her all calmly into the hand of God and then by the grace of God be able to respond with Paul, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And I can do all things. And he's talking there in the context of hard and difficult circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The believer's heart understands and believes that God's wisdom and God's plan for me is what's best, even though I don't always like it, even though sometimes it is extremely painful. Yet the believer understands and believes that God's wisdom and God's plan for me is what's best, and that God is able to to sustain me according to the truth of his word, that all things, as Paul says, work together for for the good of those who love him. Beloved, the child of God is founded firmly on the word of God and on his instruction then through that word for daily life and living. And in his strength, even though you and I may be called upon to face many surprises in life, the child of God will persevere in doing good and will not waver and is not easily tossed about. Stayed upon Jehovah in his power alone in the midst of adversity, but one more thing that we must consider in contrast to the wicked. Because there's an extreme contrast, isn't there? In contrast to the wicked, for the wicked, for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no firm foundation. There is absolutely no hope. They are standing on sinking sand that will sink into into eternity. Because remember, the wicked also are subject to bad news, whether it's general bad news. The wicked also face adversity. They also receive bad news. Yet in the midst of that for the wicked, they have absolutely no hope and absolutely no comfort. Oh, they look for it in the things and the details and the situations and the people of this life, all of which can and will fail. And then in the midst of of these adversities for the wicked, the the unbeliever can only complain and and only cast blame on others and only cry out, it's unfair. And even if they they call upon God at that time or, or address Him at that time, God is unfair. When they prosper, they get all the credit. But when life goes bad for them, then God is the one who is unfair. The unbeliever is filled with anxiety and worry and anger and can only do whatever it takes and to take advantage of and to hurt whomever to fix their problems. Yet even for the unbeliever, that general bad news that they might be called upon to face, that will come to an end from that, for them. But it doesn't get any better. Because they face that spiritual bad news. That's the ultimate downfall of the wicked. Even though on this side of glory, maybe many of them simply don't care, yet one day they can only be filled with fear and dread and terror because that bad news will face them right in the eye. 
that bad news that says you are a sinner, you are hopeless, you have absolutely no hope in yourself, there is nothing you can do to help yourself, the curse of God is upon you, and eternal punishment awaits all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus that he would gather the wheat to himself, but the chaff, the garbage, the rejectors will burn in the fire. And indeed, on, the, on this side of glory, they simply can't understand, beloved, the assurance and the comfort and the steadfastness of the child of God. Notice that from verse 10 of Psalm 112. The wicked man sees. He sees the prosperity of the righteous. He sees the steadfastness of the righteous. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. Reminds us of Stephen, doesn't it, when he was preaching and he saw the heavens open and those who hated him gnashed their teeth like rabid animals and they put him to death. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He simply can't stand the assurance and the comfort and the steadfastness of the child of God. He can't stand the fact that he cannot shake you and me and our confidence loose from Almighty God. Again, not because of us, but because of God's hand holding us fast. Again, Calvin says to this verse, God will snatch from them what they imagined was already in their possession so that they shall always depart destitute and famishing. As that verse ends, the desire of the wicked will perish. They will hear that ultimate bad news from the very mouth of the judge one day, depart from me, for I never knew you. And beloved, this is why missions indeed is so important, not just on a missions emphasis week as it is for our congregation, but for every day of our lives. This is why missions is of utmost importance. And it begins at home. It begins in the context of the home as parents, as you had this morning. Parents seek to fulfill their vows to the Lord, that heavy, heavy, important promise that godly parents make to God with regard to their children when they present them for baptism. They promise to teach. It begins there. And boys and girls and young people, you need to come face to face. This may sound strange, but each and every one of us must come face to face in the truth and the reality of the bad news of our sin and misery, of our hopelessness in and of ourself, and of our eternal need. Because if we don't understand the bad news, then we will never, ever understand the good news. In fact, it won't even be good news to you and me. The good news of Jesus Christ and His saving love, the good news that Jesus Christ for you and for me endured the extent of the bad news that was against us when He gave His life. But not only in home, uh, it's why missions are so important out there. God, God has blessed his people. He has blessed you and me with that good news, received by faith, applied to our hearts and lives, to, to the hearts and lives of those who are absolutely, were absolutely no different by nature from unbelievers. No difference. But those who are recipients of the amazing grace of God, 
that amazing grace of God that not only saved us, but also sustains us day by day. That amazing grace of God that sanctifies us, that builds us up in the most holy faith and strengthens us. And that amazing grace by which we are steadfast and also know that Satan can never defeat us because he has already been defeated. And in Christ Jesus, beloved, we are more than conquerors. That good news of Jesus Christ is to be shared. It is to be freely given away to each other, to be sure, in the context of the family of God in times of crisis and adversity and bad news as we come to one another with the Word of God to comfort and to help, to encourage, even to admonish. But it's also to be given away to the world. The world that needs hope. A world that sees only hopelessness. The task has been given to the true church. It's been given to each and every one of us as believers by the grace of God. We have a story to tell. The story of Jesus Christ and his saving love. The story of a grace that is greater than all of our sins. The story of forgiveness for every single one of our sins, past, present, and future. The story of eternal security. How secure? Well, I suspect Romans chapter 28 is very, very familiar to you, but I'd like to read the last few verses and and listen with fresh ears if you can. Paul begins in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And notice the litany. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, in other words, will adversity or bad news separate us from the love of Christ? His answer, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he goes on, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. And beloved, remember, everything other than Almighty God himself is a created thing. And the Apostle Paul, God through the Apostle Paul is telling us to our face that absolutely nothing, if you are in my son, there is absolutely nothing that exists in the whole vast wide universe that is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. A health and wealth gospel? Well, maybe it sort of is, isn't it? For the child of God, because what do we look forward to? No more sin, no more sickness, no more pain, no more bad news. But only one day in the glory of heaven, perfect health. And along with that perfect wealth, the eternal riches of Almighty God forever and ever. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, As we come together at the close of this day, we thank you for this day of all the week, the best, as we sing emblem of that eternal rest. We thank that it is by your power and your grace alone that we are firm and secure and held safe upon the rock of our salvation. But we know, Father, that there will be times in our lives, maybe even as soon as tomorrow, 
where we will face adversity, where we might receive bad news, where the adversary, the devil, will do everything he can to try to shake our confidence in Christ alone and call, call, cause us to sin against you, to, to turn our back on you. Father, hold us firm. Keep us safe. And may our lives truly be living sacrifices of glory and praise to you. Hear us for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen.